So there are some events in life that kind of force you to stop and think about how you're living. Yeah, you don't have to think that way. You can get comfortable, take a nap, be okay. Um, so you know, probably one of the biggest is the death of somebody in your family and, um, and then New Year's. You know, those, like, kind of like those two things cause you to be like, I need to reevaluate your life a little bit. Um, and so New Year's, we usually like to talk about, hey, what are you going to do with your life this year? Let's think about it. But um, Heidi's grandfather passed away this last uh, December, and we buried him uh, just this last week. So we were off to the west side to, to bury her grandfather. And we had an experience there where I've never, I've buried a number of people as a pastor, um, but I've never had this experience where they actually had the casket sitting over the grave with uh, some straps on it. And kind of at, at my signal, they came in and they actually let those straps kind of free, and it slowly lowers this casket into the ground. And I mean, it was like as it was going down, it was like the air was being sucked out of, well, we were outside of Washington, I guess, <laughs> on the other side of it. But and then there was just like this soft thump at the bottom, and it was just this moment of finality where you just realize that, wow, for, for Grandpa, there's no more chances. There's no more opportunities. There's no more what, you know, like what might you do this year? There's no more New Year's resolutions. It's, it's done. And thankfully, he had given his life to Jesus, and he's now living in a kind of life that he doesn't have to make resolutions. Um, maybe his only resolution is to get to know God more, and it's going to be awesome for him. But we now, you know, who, who live, funerals are for us. They're for these moments for us to remember that, you know what, we've been given generously by God, every single one of us, the same amount of, of daylight, right? We're, we're given 24 hours in a day, and we're given seven days a week equally, whether we're rich or we're poor, whether we have a job or we're unemployed, it doesn't matter. We all get the same amount of time in a day. But what we don't know is how many of those days we get. We don't know how long we have to make decisions and to live the sort of life that that God dreams of, and, and honestly, the kind of life we dream of. I am very prone to having great big dreams and then struggling to live them out. You know, and that's partly just my maybe genetic makeup or personality where I love big dreams, but eventually it's making those steps to make those dreams come to life in my own life where I struggle. And there's just decisions, it seems like. A hundred thousand decisions for every sort of, you know, Make it, make it a goal. Every goal that we have, every dream that we have for our life, there's all these decisions it takes to get there. And I lose it somewhere around eight or ten of those steps in because I get bored. That dream's not going to go anywhere. I know many of us are kind of in that same boat where we think, like we say, you know what, when I'm old, I want to be like him or her. You hear the stories about the 94-year-old. Have you guys heard about this? The 94-year-old who uh, rode in a, like a, I can't remember how long, a super long bike race and then was disqualified for doping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to live, you get your get to your goals, right? But 94 years old and the man is still riding a bicycle for any distance. It's amazing. Even if he did eat steak the night before that had drugs in it. And you know, we just, we have these ideals of what we think retirement will be like, what we think, um, you know, graduating college and having a job will be like. And Sometimes those ideals aren't met because life is hard, but sometimes we just fail to make the decisions we need to make in the moment to get us there, to live our best life, the life that we really want to live. And so here it is, the first Sunday of the new year, and we wanted to invite you to kind of consider that 
for a minute. What do you want this year to really look like? And what do you want from life this year? I'm not saying here make these huge goals. But what steps do you need to start to take to be the kind of person you want to be when your cap gets lowered in life? And the new year crosses again. We have a couple of people that are from our church that um, Heidi and I have known for quite a few years now. They've been here as long as Heidi and I have known this church, so right around nine years. And we have watched them uh, exemplify this, this march toward their best self. They've made decisions that seem crazy to some of us um, to become who they feel like God has intended them to be. And so we wanted to interview them this morning. And so with that, I want to invite Will and Brianna and the lovely wife, Heidi, this morning, who has all kinds of great questions. And we're going to just kind of interview them. this will help with his story. Hmm. And this whole thing is falling apart. Like all the clips and everything. It's like, what, what do we need this for? So anyway, we wanted to, to talk with Will and Brianna and just kind of hear about how life has turned out so far and where you've gone and where you're going. And we have a list of questions. And at the end, we're going to do some Oprah Winfrey style rapid fire questions. If you've ever heard Oprah Winfrey interview somebody on Super Soul Sunday, they just like, they're like, so describe peace in two words. And Bri Brianna was like, don't ask me that question because I'll just freak out. So uh, anyway, so would you start by just taking a moment to, because there are people here that don't know you by name. Um, let us know who you are and kind of how that went. Uh, well, we're Will and Brianna Morrison. Um, I grew up in this area and have been in Lansing, Idaho. Um, we're working at Oprah Winfrey and OPR respectively in Portland. Um, but uh, I have great jobs at Simran and have kind of what I instinctively want to become uh, in life. Yeah, so we were, we were both working in the area together just with undergrad. So we really enjoyed being here So for the past two years, we've been working with a group of nonprofit organizations uh, that try to build the largest um, non-governmental hospitals that can exist. And as part of our trip, we provide free surgery to people who would otherwise be unable to get their surgery through particularly complicated, terrible surgical problems that they have. So we've been there for two years, started with a Medicaid grant, and we've been um, do, doing support roles. Uh, I've been teaching for staff, uh, and 
So can you tell us about an upward line in your lives or hearts that you are focusing on the most right now? And what circumstances led to this particular decision? Okay, so we we will hear um, for a while still fairly comfortable, um, but I, I don't know if you can just imagine somebody sitting in a noisy gray recliner comfortable and then somebody pops up the back of it or pops up out of the recliner and they're like really that's kind of how we were feeling like god's god's moving us but we didn't know where we were going and we eventually jumped you out of the chair yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so we were sensing (laughs) that something was going to dump us soon we were we're going to get dumped and uh and so we just uh we went on a prayer retreat and prayed about what was next and both felt like we were being led towards mercy shops, and when we went on the website, we opened it and we saw it had like uh, two urgent needs for crew that both fit our circumstances needs, and that was kind of a, an answer right away. This is this is what we have for us. I have I have another one, but I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> I got them all. So can you tell us, what was it like to leave the church? Yeah, so I'll I'll start and maybe I'll hand it over to Will. So uh, I don't know how many of you have been on trips before. Um, It's kind of hard to explain this particular trip because it had been a transformed ferry ship made into a hospital. And then there's two spaces. And these two spaces um, were very small. Very tight very tight. We were actually in one of the bigger spaces, um, and it it was uh, definitely smaller than a studio apartment. It's kind of hard to get a size here. Maybe the size of one of these chair sections right here is the front one. Um, so it was our it was living space, but uh, we were all not there very often because we were out with the ship's crew. And uh, if you can imagine... If you, this body of believers here, if you were living with everybody here and working with all the people here, going to church, recreating, getting coffee, every doing your laundry, uh, experiencing fire drills, sometimes 6 a.m. in the morning, uh, we were doing all of that together in a very tight space. Uh, you kind of get an idea of what the ship living on the ship was like. There's people from usually over 30, 30 to 40 countries, so so many different cultures and ways of doing things uh, and uh, different languages and, and all of that as well. Uh, and if you can imagine that if there's great opportunity for community in that space of living and growing and changing and encouraging and also irritating and all of those things to each other, um, and it was kind of up to the crew whether it was just going to be uh, a bunch of <coughs> hundreds of annoying roommates or uh, if we're going to like open up our hearts and spend a lot of times being transformed and understanding people and, and doing that. I think you said it, but it's pretty much just a, a rock tumbler or something where we're all pouring in together 
nice high pressure and there's maybe some jet stream water or whatever and it tumbles all around and then at the end it comes out of these beautiful crystals We probably could use some more tumbling ourselves to get that yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so, I mean, the <laughs> whole iron sharpening iron, I think, is, is a really good way of describing all of that. It's just being close together with really super cool people from all over the world, but also um, being together with all those people <laughs> and fighting over long beach bases or whatever it was. You know, there was plenty of things on the trip that happened that way. <laughs> you say missionaries were people, too. As it turns out, yeah. <laughs> and I think also to kind of give you a feel for that, so every morning uh, you have a new group of people showing up on the dock space to get surgery. Uh, yeah, we have to do during my laundry and are very, the you can see it's not very big and that's just for uh, the 300 to 400 people. Um, I hope I'm okay. Um, I was gonna say there's every morning a new group of people showing up on the dock with massive cleaners that are really just wet, that are going backwards, that um, just need to be themselves all covered up because they've embarrassed about something that they are. Uh, and you can see there's some nervousness and fear on their face, but also lots of hope and excitement about what's going to be next and what could happen soon. Um, so that's Set this up too big, but I think is is even a word. Of being course it is. I don't. I, I don't want to set the expectation too high, but um, Heidi and I grew up in San Francisco out in the Keys, recently, and our favorite thing was our kids doing missions. Our kids want to know, hey, mom, dad's not here all the time, and here missionary kids. And so many of you guys have been missionary kids. Did I set that up too much? That was a little bit big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was. I was trying to think. There's a bunch of stuff that we could tell them about on this panel and kind of sum up our perspective. But I was thinking of one really short one and then one that's kind of a little bit longer story. Um, <coughs> the first one is when you get in and you're kind of excited about traveling and seeing all of these people and the health and all of that is good, but we didn't really think so much about like the flow. And so my first story is the flow, which was we signed up to be on the dive team and the dive team Crashes and burns halfway through the trip. There were scuba divers who went below the ship in the port dive and cleaned off the intake of the water tank. But as crew, the, the water comes into the ship, cools the ship with air conditioning, and also it helps to cool away the main engines, the valves that are running. Um, if things get clogged up, how does the air conditioning And they no can't run and through the boat equipment and it's not possible. So, so we're like, okay, yes, this is a great thing to do. We're jazzed about it. We're excited. And for the first time, a little bit of training for the scuba divers. The scuba divers have these fighting helmets and the gear on and the really big heavy tanks. They got the masks and everything. And I'm trying to remember, there's all these things like acronyms for landing gear, first dive, jump in the water and all is cool, everything is good. And the water was like such slimy slush. And I said, what is this? How is the water slimy? And I said, 
oh, that's just the sewage that runs down into the city <laughs> when it rains, and the sewage runs into the port. And then I saw, like, some oil seeps out of some little box. I thought, oh, it's oil from the, sh the next ship down. I didn't know oil was this. Don't allow that in uh, European countries, but so we were swimming through this like garbage. It, it looked a lot like the Boston Pizzas in Star Wars, actually. Mm. Like everything and, and the monsters in there as well were just like God's in here. I feel something moving. <laughs> anyway, so I I was trying to remember everything. We tried to go down into the town. We we motioned to a buddy to go and drive. And then I tried to remember all the things and I found for five or six seconds, I was just going down, going down, and the light went away, and I had forgotten to turn on my flashlight because the water was so murky, you couldn't even see this far in front of you without a really super bright light. And even then, it was just like darker than front of you. And so there was a rope that you pulled to hold on to for dear life because if you let, let the rope go, the, the tide would come and you'd go in, and you'd end up either in the where the sewage was coming out if you didn't let it go, or the other side where the, the Panamanian military would end up because the water would pull you out of some place. So anyway, long story <laughs> short, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And after a couple of moments, maybe something like this, my flashlight shone with that beam, turned it on, and I was gone. All of the rats had disappeared, and I continued to swim. So that's the... That was basically the end of the story, but it was just like one of those times where you, you think to yourself in the dark, that was like a bit of a floating flood floating in hell. Just thinking, how does that connect to the rest of the end? <laughs> what am I doing? It's, it's black and I could die at any moment and this stuff that could go into my mouth might ingest it and die as well. And <coughs> it was just like one of those times where you're like, I hope you have a plan for this because <laughs> I seem to have gotten myself in literally over my head. So, <coughs> the second story I just maybe I'll try to go quicker is uh, just to do with um, kind of relying on God and seeing not only God work in mysterious ways and wonderful ways, but also everyone working together as a team. And we mentioned before that we're just the support for the ship, and so about half of the 300 crew were hospital people who are nurses, surgeons, doctors, pharmacy guys. The other half were the deck guys who are keeping the ship running, and then there was just my department of computers, Dan's department of training, stuff like that. So there's lots of support and inventory that goes into keeping this ship running, so I can go in every day, and we feed everyone, and we So I feel like that is us also a really good metaphor for the church because we're all part of this body and we do different things differently. And one of the stories is that we uh, were sailing into Guinea for the, for the first time. So we decided we were going to go to this new country. We usually this trip will just sail like twice a year. sailing in, and before the previous uh, field service, we had gotten there, and everything had been like cleaned engine and everything. 
attempt set up ahead of time, and you've got to look at the lighting for the church to have this effect on people. So I have to set up this new location. And so I get beginning exploring the lanes and the ways, changing the timeline, and I pull up, and there's just one out of the four cars pulled up. We talked to the guys, and we and they said, "Well, the other three tents got packed in a container, a shipping container, and we shipped it off in the last batch, and it hasn't come yet. It's stuck in some random port somewhere in some random container." Oh, well, I guess we're not going to start the surgeries right away because we're not ready for surgery. But it turned out that we were able to get a cleaning team to help clean the tent. a month or two, we got the other tents finally set them up, and we had a crazy windstorm for the last day. Me and I were even watching out our little window. We had a little porthole window in our cabin at nighttime, and we're like, oh, it's cool. It looked like we had cool lightning on our side. We're like, oh, that's kind of neat. And it was really blowing hard, enough that the ship, we could feel in our bed, we kind of rocked to sleep that night. We're like, <sighs> and it turns out the next morning, the guys who were on watch, the, uh, the security guys that kind of go around and watch the ship, said that three in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning, the whole entire tent had like been picked up by the wind and slammed around, and then part of it was totally collapsed to the water. And of course, my first thought is, I'm, I'm with the security guy, I'm like, oh, my computers are all wet. <laughs> <coughs> Like, what, what's going to happen to our gear? And like, so we run down there first thing in the morning, and as I said, I was all ready. I checked everything. And at that point in time, I was thinking that, yet again, not only the first thing with the tents not being there, but then the second storm and the tents collapsing. And, and again, this is like one of those very crucial um, things to getting people into safety. And if you kind of mess up one of the requisites, then you stop the whole entire kind of uh, block line of things that need to happen, and then the surgery starts. So we've got all these people sitting around now having surgery, but are not doing anything for them. So I guess the what I was getting at was the cool thing about it was both with the setting up of the new tents as we came in, and also with this collapse of the tent slammed people just came to life like it was just there and i've got guys there was a security guy that just came at two in the morning three in the morning to help kind of put it back together as much as they could and then the next day people just were on their tents to move everything out of their tents and into another one and there was hospital guys that were supposed to be doing some other job but they were going behind to help us and then we were moving stuff sorts of people from all over, guns, fire, people, everyone was helping out. And it just felt like so, even though it was a really bad storm, like it came out and we were kind of laboring under the force, it just highlighted to me that everyone came together and kind of did something really special. And just the, the whole tent was taken up by God. At the end of the story, we finally ordered a new tent so we could travel and get into surgery. Not one ordered, but it was several months 
just ask you to walk in that way. Is there a time for me and God to be okay with simply not being your host sometimes? Is that I just don't know. But there's sometimes there's sometimes just like the tenth row, you never know if God is there. So could you give us um, a break there? The main thing that comes and is done that we've set up, and we have to sort of start over again. Um, and a lot, a lot of things that we wanted to do, we mostly ended up doing. But um, not all of our stuff has gone well. Um, and so I think through that, God's been showing me, you know, I have a plan that maybe doesn't look like that now, but it's been a long time. Let's just go with what we know and just be quiet. just now getting out of it. I think I talked to Heidi at some point and said, Heidi, I'm just tired of, of God working on me. <laughs> I just want a break. Um, but it's good, and it, it's certainly really grown and changed um, my perspective on it. And I think one thing that I've been, have been feeling lately and reflecting on as well as Mary was um, thinking about the story of the loaves and the fishes what we have, and then Jesus multiplies that to feed all of them, and then a couple chapters later, you see what seems to us to be the almost identical situation, and again, the disciples are like, what are we going to do? We don't have a plan, and I, I think it just strikes me as uh, we look at our situations and think, oh no, what are we going to do? There's no way we can do this, and, and then you're like me, I'm a planner, so I'm like, okay, well. Maybe what we can do is we're going to do this and this and this, and maybe it'll work out. Um, and really, God's just saying, give me those five loaves and two fishes. Give me what you have right now, and I'm going to multiply it. And then you get to the next situation. We're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because we've forgotten, and we, we think it's a totally different situation. But really, it's the same situation. It's the same thing. You, you show up with your five loaves and your two fishes, and it's not adequate. It's totally inadequate. Even like in the areas where I feel like I'm the most adequate, it's still inadequate because he has so much more and bigger and greater than what we can imagine. And so just try to use just that and don't give over what we've got to him to multiply. Then he will work his answer that we can't really imagine. Oh my God. together doing the Alleluia, I couldn't help but really immediately just talk at him. We were just sharing stories, and he was like, well, I'm going to share the story about the people who got to the top, um, 
from a first world country into a probably third world country somewhere near there and decided that God was calling them as a family. So as some of you probably know, I don't know how many kids, five kids um, to live amongst the people in whatever country five does that make sense? Four of them live in heaven. These people live in heaven. I thought I'm not going to talk to them. I was going to, maybe you need to tell us a little bit about that story. Tell us about that. Um, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm going to make it up as we go. So, and as we were telling them about it, because we were talking about, you know, they, they were like in heaven with their father and stuff like that. But then, you know, we went um, looking at it as a family and then as well as students and people from somewhere else. And it, it just comparatively, and it just made us um, really think about what is it that God's called us to do um, in terms of our service in general um, with what we have available to us and what we can. So this family just gave me a little bit more background that they were, um, they really had a heart to reach out to a group of people that um, has no known churches probably less than 10 known believers um, in the world. So it's a group of people that really, like, they don't have an idea of what it means to walk with the Lord, um, to know him, to know his love, and to know his grace and forgiveness as well. And um, they really had a heart to him that God had specific goals for this group of people and had called specific people as well. portrays what it means to be a Christian because they think all Americans are Christians and therefore all movies that come from America are portrayed Christians. And so you can imagine their image of what it means to be a Christian is very far off. And so um, the, these people had gone and uh, with their whole family and had decided we are going to live like this to show them that we're judging that God will, that God can meet them where they, they are. And this is what it really means to walk as a believer in your context and in, in them as well. Um, and we kind of, <laughs> some of the choices we're making, we're like, where are we going to set what we have in? And, and uh, to be honest, Will and I are still like, we're not sure if that's uh, really. It was really challenging. They were living literally in a shed. More like a shed because it was metal, full wood metal, and sandy dirt floor, no running water, no lights, um, in in the neighborhood of a full grown shed. Yeah. Um, and I think food was going to be from the local market, but it was all Based market, shall we just say, especially when it comes to meat on Saturday and then fish on Sunday. Yeah. Just like on over the weekend same thing. They were living with people who were living in poverty and and like the people of Nazareth a thousand years ago. 
Paul's talking about uh, people in the um, Jewish dialogue and people who have become like, have become all things to all people. Um, and I think, you know, God calls us each to do that in different ways. And for some of us, really convicting and, and challenging and it still makes all the sense to me. And I see you Haley, you're talking about in your testimony about being hiding your past out of the book. Like that we came up with is somebody in our church came to us and said, I heard God the audible voice say, move to LBC Haiti and live life for Haitian in the backwoods someplace in a shack with with your five kids. Don't have any insurance, don't have any U.S. medical claims, don't have any retirement. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and go and live like a Haitian. I think that our pastoral advice would be that maybe you need to work with psychologists because you're hearing voices. Because God gave his one and only son on the cross so that we don't have to sacrifice our children for his kingdom. And that's the experience, and so I said... God, if God came to me and with an audible voice and said to move, then to move. So I guess I'd probably actually argue with God and be like, no, you're crazy. And yet if God says it, then God would be like, well, then just do it. God provides. And God provides. Right, because he will. There's nothing else he can do. Thankfully, God's probably not call, calling most of us in the things that we're called. Um, but he does call us in the things that are Most people would quit being uncomfortable with that. Like, I'm not ever going there, or I'm not called. But there would always be one person somewhere sometime. And I kind of think that that's something that God's saying to most of the people here. Somebody here is called as a missionary to go. And maybe this is your moment. And the rest of us are missionaries in everyday life. So was that what you were going to say? That's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's actually it's called What do you 
you guys going to do next? So we're, we're now off to mentorship. So what are you doing next, and how can we help folks continue to prosper? So um, we work off of Rob's work on relationship with faith. Um, that is all it takes. Working on his actions. I'm already. working on my actions. Uh, wow. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna head down there. Um, we've accepted the position, and we're excited about it. Um, we were volunteers on board for two years. Uh, we just accepted the position to try something different, um, and um, you know we still really believe in what we're doing. And Jeremy and Rob both have one thing we're hoping he brings to Happy the world for them to learn. Jesus. Doing, trying to do what Jesus was doing by help healing people, and they believe in that. So we're going to do that, and um, by the end of the month, we'll be doing our first little move down there and opening up a brand new building and helping them get that going. So we're really excited about that. So I don't mean to out you guys, but I know you've been a part of the making of decisions, and this decision was a huge one. So I think that was part of what you guys did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think it was something that um, you know I wasn't totally asking for no to be to go to this organization I think it was <laughs> it's strange to say that maybe it was a little bit easier for us to say yes to go into Africa than it is to say yes to go to Texas because <laughs> um, we just don't know what we're getting into and it it's a you know the different culture and, and um, also you know to be honest the, the role that I'm going to be So I think that's why God's really been speaking to me about that collaboration piece of things, you know, that I might not have enough time with them. Um, and just to give a brief, I'm in my role, I'm going to be heading up the training and development for the organization and, and kind of reforming it as the organization gets larger to um, make sure that they stay focused on their, their mission and um, loving God and loving each other and others. quite similar to what he was doing on the trip that I was on. So, so we're both excited, and, and also um, we both talked about the driving for the first time, and, and I think <laughs> luckily when it was low tide and our jump into the water was about 20 feet um, into the very muddy, garbagey water, uh, you know, sometimes ideas and but sometimes God just calls us to take a big breath and make the plunge how can one stay for you and the title of tough decisions is one that you if you if you'd have thought that for the two of you she'd have made the tough decisions so um how, how can we prepare for you guys as you go yeah I think just praying that we'll all make good choices for our own families and We know some of them already because of the way that they've been raised. Yeah, I think we know a lot of 
church We'll just we'll just continue to pray for you guys. Heidi is going to batter you with Jack's power press and buttons and chairs. I feel closest to God when uh, when I'm out in nature, particularly like on a big body of water, like a massive ocean. I see the greatness of God. And music. African food is uh, Ngoe from Cameroon. There's like a goofy green monkey. Looks terrible, but it's like gorgeous. Uh, mine was fried plantain. Mm, that's good. I feel most at peace when when I really believe that like God is there and I'm not alone. When the internet on the ship is not broken. <laughs> 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 the craziest thing I did in Africa was Probably driving or the, I went on this ropes course uh, that didn't really have any safety features and they actually didn't have anybody guiding. They just gave you like a two minute tutorial and then sent you off. And then we discovered that there were live crocodiles underneath the ropes course. <laughs> that makes it much more exciting. Uh, mine was two. One was driving through the Sahara Desert and breaking down, and I was like, now is heaven or hell, like, what am I going to do? The second one was finding out that the van driver, our chauffeur, that had driven us around for two whole weeks, at the very end, he wanted a, them to take him into the makeshift eye doctors, and they found out he was, like, 90% blind. <laughs> the guy who had <laughs> driven us around. So... It actually was amazingly good at driving. <laughs> I would describe PSC as... A common place where courage is going to thrive. Home. Yeah. The great... Uh, the a committee of society. Those are the wrong words. <laughs> yeah, Group of committee. family. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, guys. Yeah. If you guys want to ask any questions, we have a couple minutes since we have a question and everything. What was the question? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the question was about the people that received surgery and um, do we keep track of them down the road and see um, do they come to know the Lord? Um, what happens to them afterwards? And um, I would say kind of two things to answer that. I mean, the first is to say that um, the heart of Mercy Ships is really often to open the hearts and give plant seeds and so uh, we partner very much with the local church and 
local believers and um, as well as local organizations to to follow sh follow up and make sure that um, that I guess it would be that that people don't make decisions just so they can get a free surgery because they think that's the only way they can get it and that's really uh, a big concern and we don't you know we don't want that to be a, a fake decision because that uh, that isn't setting you up for a good walk with the Lord in any case. So um, that's that's something we definitely rely on. But we also do have uh, a cycle, the Nasusha Kaka cycle, that they um, go into a country before the ship arrives to see what are the needs, who can we partner with that's reliable. Um, then we're there, and then they have an, uh, a team that comes in after and does assessments and meets with the people that had surgeries to see who and where and what where they are that point and those are I think some of the sweetest stories because uh, everybody's excited right after a surgery um, but then to see where they are after that and uh, them giving praise to God uh, after the fact that that's uh, means so much more than that immediate sort of thing so so I think does that answer your question <laughs> So, so we basically to say um, we we don't want people to feel like you we only are going to love you if you change your faith because um, that's that's not what Jesus met them where they're at and healed them and then they got to see oh this was this was truly free and that's what led them to the Lord and so would you yeah go ahead yeah and just to add to that. Um, we do, though, see people, amazing women, amazingly healed and praising the Lord, even if they're Muslim before or whatever their background was. Um, we've seen that a, a, a number of times, people always pra praising the Lord. So um, I don't think we have numbers on it. I don't I know that there is discussion of what happens afterwards, especially on the medical side of whether or not it was medically correct. Other questions? Yep. So, because our jobs weren't directly working with the people, Will and I we tried to be intentional about that. Um, one thing that I would do is I would go down to the the hospital wards and just visit with patients there, which was wonderful because like, I, d I didn't, you know, you just show up and you don't know anybody and you meet them and just hear about their life and where they were, um, hear about people that have been living with disabilities that have kept them out of the community for decades and uh, get to see them healed from those and uh, be able to, sh to share with them I'm not the medical person, but here I am to to love them and share God's love. And you can even do that without words, which is truly, truly amazing. Um, and then we also took opportunities. We were involved with a local church in Benin, and we also um, get out and see the people and so forth. I'll just I'll just say it because nobody I don't think anybody's from any of those countries. We went to I think Guinea was our favorite country for that reason, because it was easy and the people were so friendly and welcoming to get out and 
meet people and talk to them and see about their lives. We had two distinct experiences um, being invited to people's homes, which were kind of high points. Um, one of them was, you know, a bakery, uh, which is a guy who comes in every day and kind of sketches out chocolate and has a great style, and then invited us to go visit his father's house uh, in Cameroon. And uh, the second one was down in Guinea. Uh, we had a, an internet um, technician who was helping me run the lines for the cables to the main internet for the ship. And we were chatting, and my French is not very good, and his English wasn't very good, but he kind of was fine, and he was working with me. And um, so he invited me also to visit them. Um, and then super, super simple and um, kind of struggling families, but so generous and so, so warm, just inviting me into their home. Everything that they have, you know, it's like all good for you. You know, it's just really amazing. So. Hi, folks. It's Kurt, and this is my mom. And so rather than just like you watch the kids on TV, I was going to bring my daughter to school. And one of the things that God kind of laid on my heart as we were talking through this was that we would have a hard time setting up Thank you for being here, and God, thank you for all of your blessings that are poured out on uh, this place for these people and through us. God, uh, I thank you for Paul Fastbold and for the heart that they have to serve and to open up their, their minds and their hearts to other people and other places. Um, Lord, we thank you for the, the missionaries that we already have and the, the Fontaines who are here and and everyone who has worked or is working uh, in your name. And Lord, we, we just ask for a special uh, boldness that you would give courage to those who are uh, maybe squirming in their seats or people who think maybe this is me, maybe, maybe there's something about me that this is not going to work for me. Um, and, and I just want to pray also for just all of us, Lord, God, that you take us deeper into your love and also just that like every day and every walk you would form um, help us to see places where we can pitch in and lend a hand and each of us um, being the, the hands and feet that you want us to be Thank you. 
power that just belongs to you. Father, we come together and we praise the one God we serve. We bow them before you. church community, where they can continue to grow and to love and to know and to love. I pray that as they move into their new roles, that you would surround them with friends, uh, people who they can live life with, and um, people in their workplace, people in their community. Father, I pray that you would be preeminent in church like you are, but it's a big girl, one that she um, sees that she's going to need your your help and your guidance. I pray that you would speak to her. I pray that you would remind her of this family and the way. And I pray that you would show her that you are with her. We thank you, God. I pray that you would prepare your body, that his soul could leave him quickly. I pray that the news would be smooth and that they would sense your peace and your guidance. In Jesus' name, powerful name we pray. Amen. We're going to take some time in the back if you want to ask questions of any of the guests there. But if not, again, God bless you and keep you. And we hope to see you at the family meeting together this week. In Jesus' name, amen.